Right eye dominant. 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 This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. And I'm really excited about today's episode because I actually conducted an interview with local Albuquerque-based photojournalist, Roberto Rosales. Roberto's a, a friend of mine. He is uh, the staff photographer for the Albuquerque Journal. He also teaches at the University of New Mexico in the Journalism and Digital Arts Department. And on top of that, Roberto has pursued personal projects traveling all through Central America, the Caribbean, and uh, his work along the border between the United States and Mexico is uh, of note for sure. Uh, Really powerful work. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well as focusing on shooting on the streets here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the challenges and tribulations of what that entails. And originally the conversation was going to focus on the idea of empathy and empathy in photography. And we do talk a bit about that, but as Roberto and I got into it, the conversation expanded to cover a whole bunch of topics. And I really enjoyed sitting down and and chatting with him and I hope you enjoy this episode so without further ado here is my conversation with Roberto Rosales so welcome to the show Roberto Rosales thank you Nick thank you for having me I appreciate you uh, taking the time now taking interest in in my point of view on anything so (laughs) I appreciate that Right on, man. Thank you for joining me. And I did do a little introduction at the front end of the episode, but maybe to get our listeners up to speed, you could just tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, um, where you went to school, and what your life is like currently in photography. So I was born in El Salvador and uh, quickly immigrated to the United States in 1980. Um, where I attended high school, uh, middle school, and a community college. And, and that's where I kind of got my start in photography. Eventually, um, I came out to do my undergrad at the University of New Mexico after a professor of mine decided that, you know, maybe I'm a little too too good for that program. So she wanted to challenged me a little and, and thought that I would be a good fit um, here in New Mexico. And I did come here. And where were you based before you came to New Mexico? In the Washington, D.C. area, um, Maryland, in, in the D.C. suburbs in Maryland, just across okay. the D.C. line. But quickly, I made my way out west and UNM became like this factor that really changed everything for me visually. Um, I got my undergrad there, and but quickly after I graduated, I went to teach in Latin America. So I went back to Central America. I, I taught photojournalists um, and conducted workshops with uh, photographers who wanted to up their game and understand storytelling. So where exactly did you go to to work on this project? 
San Salvador in, in the capital. And so my primary job for the next two years after I graduated was training newspaper staffs on, on what over journalism, documentary photography, including storytelling, what was all that about. And so, you know, after a while, I think I, I needed to come back to the United States and sort of pursue my documentary photography. So I quickly made my way back to uh, the Washington, D.C. area where I freelanced for a while. And in 2000, I, I wanted to come out west again. But the one place that I was always comfortable with was New Mexico. So I, I came back to uh, the Albuquerque area and I found myself surrounded with a lot of work and a lot of opportunities. And, and I'm grateful that everything worked out back in the day. Um, many newspapers were hiring me to tell stories out in the West um, and in, including the, the Albuquerque Journal. I guess they kind of saw my work and um, they started hiring me as a freelancer back in the day. But in 2001, they, they had an opening for a staff uh, position and they approached me and asked me if I wanted to join, which um, I said, yes. Uh, I think that was a, a smart decision. It was a stable move. And I've been with the Albuquerque Journal since 2001. But I, you know, I, I still felt like I wasn't fulfilled. Like with all these other opportunities, you know, I shot and shot and photographed, uh, but there was something missing. And that part was teaching. When I, when I was growing up, when I was coming up as a young photojournalist, I didn't have mentors. I didn't have people that looked like me who would take the time to advise me on things other than photography. So since 2010, I've been teaching at the University of New Mexico part-time. So that's interesting. It's it's almost like you have two full-time jobs doing photojournalism and teaching and it even though the common ground might be photography, it seems like each job has its own unique challenges and it's almost like using two different parts of your brain. Oh, uh, completely. Yes. Uh, I teach the only class that involves photography in this entire department with the with the film um, curriculum and so i basically take the filmmakers who need to understand exposure and a lot of technical stuff but also how to think on the field um, i think next two weeks from now we start street photography and, and i'm looking forward to that because we will do street photography downtown in albuquerque and i like to teach that genre of photography because it develops that confidence that I think today's young students lack. Um, you need to interact not only with people you know, but more importantly, the people you don't know. I, I, I stress that a lot. Well, you're actually heading into the territory of what I wanted to talk to you about on today's episode, which is empathy in photography. I mean, it's interesting, you're taking young photographers out into the streets to photograph, and you're challenging them in ways because they're having to approach people that they don't know, you know, with the intention to make a photograph of this person in a specific environment, but also engaging with these people as human beings, not just subject matter. So not only as a teacher, but as a, an experienced photojournalist, 
you know, how do you prepare yourself or how do you show them to prepare themselves uh, heading into that environment? Like, what are the things that you do uh, to prepare yourself uh, for shooting in that environment? Well, I think one of the, the, the biggest um, issues that I think is hard to teach, and I, and I know that, that students eventually get it, but it takes a lot of time, but the ability to put the camera down, the ability to have a dialogue before you even take the first photo, that is one of the most important attributes you can have is really the ability to be a, a sociologist, I guess, if you if you will, right? to really be engaged within this community or place. It is so important to know when to put the camera down and when to pick it up. So you, you, you should never go in with the intent to shoot first and ask questions later. So really having the ability to socialize, to ask questions, and more importantly, to be curious. People are not curious today because everything is at their fingertips with a smartphone. Put the smartphone down. Engage with your community. Try to talk to someone and ask questions. Young photographers still think, for the most part, that this interaction, this dialogue, has to do with them. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the person you're trying to photograph, with the community you're trying to tell their story. The ability to be this very social, you know, person. And I stress that today more than anything. And I think you would understand that, you know, I think we're about the same age. You had to be curious. You had to be curious about your community or the person that you were trying to document. Um, so having that curiosity factor really plays a big part. Learning how to be the human being. Having some empathy for your subject, depending on what story you're trying to tell. It actually makes me think about, you know, you're going into a situation um, as a photographer and especially if you're on assignment, I don't like to think of it that you have an agenda necessarily, but you're there looking to tell a specific story. And with that comes, you know, all of our baggage that we carry with us. And I think some of that is biases that we may apply to people just by appearance alone. And that's not exclusive to photography. I mean, I could be walking down a street and see someone coming towards me and immediately I'm going to try to assess who that person is, what they're all about, what their economic status is, how they're dressed, whether they're approaching me in a threatening sort of way or if they look friendly. And so, you know, you, you're, you're doing it now you're doing it with a camera in your hand and it's I find it pretty interesting actually because what you said about going in with the you know the camera down you know first and looking for an interaction or a conversation first and then when you feel comfortable or you feel it's the appropriate time then you take the camera out or you raise the camera up so I'm just curious if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you prepare yourself, especially if you're going into a situation where it may be dangerous or chaotic or if it's a crime scene or if it's a situation where things are changing very quickly. How do you not only prepare to go in there, but how do you keep your cool and keep your, 
no pun intended, focus uh, when things are possibly changing at a rapid pace? Um, it, 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 it's such a difficult profession because you're, you're not just pushing a button. You're not just a photographer. You got to be a, you got to master a lot of different avenues when it comes to interacting with certain scenarios. Um, you know, whether I'm shooting a riot, whether I'm shooting uh, issues down at the, the border with Mexico and the U.S., all these things just pretty much push you to understand the, the survival skills you need to keep developing, how not to be noticed, how to just blend in, how to carry your equipment, how many cameras can you carry? It's better to carry one when you're near a militarized zone, you know, investing in a small point and shoot camera, little things like that. But also, most importantly, your body language. Your body language says so much about you. But, but survival skills, being street smart, um, and, and again, that demeanor you carry, that body language you possess, it goes farther than any photographic skill that you can acquire. Well, let me ask you this, Roberto, because you go into situations where you're dealing with sometimes homeless populations, sometimes people with either mental issues or substance abuse issues, you're facing people living in poverty, or you're dealing with people who are migrating from another country at our southern border. I mean, you're dealing with a wide range of human suffering. How do you tap into that empathy how do you keep those people who you're shooting uh, in your mind as human beings and not just subject matter? First of all, you check yourself and you, you assess the situation. Am I putting these people at risk by photographing them, by exposing where they live or what neighborhood they live in, uh, that kind of matter? I'm always thinking of that. You know, I can always go back, but they get to live there. And so I always keep that in check. And also, I kind of put myself in a situation at times when, you know, a lot of times they might let me photograph them doing something, but they may not realize that by me photographing them, it puts them in danger. So when it comes to certain topics, you know, especially dealing with drugs and, and immigration, I, I don't want to push the envelopes uh, too much, but also, you know, we can do things uh, ethically to balance that. And one of them is, you know, shooting from a certain angle or, or against a backlit situation so you don't identify that person. You know, maybe changing their first name or just giving their first name. You know, not revealing enough information so that, you know, anybody can retaliate against them. That part of the empathy process really uh, it keeps you in check, but also at the same time, there's been instances where, you know, you have to sort of fight through that and you can't just treated with you know white gloves you have to tell a story and so if you're too empathetic uh, i think you can cloud your judgment and you may not get the right story uh, it's, it's a really difficult process wow so you're actually bringing up something interesting that i didn't really think about you know my approach to this subject matter is always 
you know, thinking that people are going into a situation to photograph and they don't have enough empathy for their subject matter. But it's interesting to hear you're saying it's almost like the flip side of that, that it's actually possible for you to have too much empathy for your subject matter. And that may affect how you're able to do your job and it's going to affect what kind of pictures you take. Right. No, I, I agree. I think you hit it. You can be so too attached to the situation, if you will, that I think you can, can definitely cloud that judgment and you fall short. You do fall short. And the story you're trying to tell, you don't do it justice in the end. And it's a story too powerful to ignore. And so you have to keep that empathy in balance. It's happened to me. I've, I've had a couple of instances where, you know, I just, I guess I'm a human being first and a photojournalist second. And there's been one instance where I, I didn't take that photograph because it was too painful. Um, I felt like I was invading their, a moment that they should share between them and they shouldn't have a camera in front of them. But it, it, it's, it can be so difficult. And that, again, experience will breed this empathy, will really uh, have it evolve within you. And that's something we're kind of lacking right now, I think, overall. I think we're so just immune to suffering. You know, how do you go from looking at images in your feed in social media from death to cat videos, you know, it's like, how do you balance that? Well, that's, I want to go back to something that you were just saying then. Um, you know, you, I know you, you're, you're a good person with a good heart and you have a strong moral compass. I know this about you. Um, you could have taken the photograph, but you chose not to take the photograph um, others, other photographers in that situation might not have been, uh, as scrupulous as you were or as caring as you were or as empathetic as you were. Do you find that in general that, uh, there's been a shift or a change and maybe because it is social media and there's so many different outlets that are hungry for news and images that there may be photographers who, might not have that moral compass that we know you have? Well, I, I can tell you this. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, the mass shooting at Walmart in El Paso, Texas, a couple of years ago. I think there were close to 200 photojournalists at this event, you know, covering the aftermath, including myself. And as we started to find out who the victims were and who the relatives were who were coming to this makeshift memorial that was being put up, pretty close to the Walmart, the scene of the incident, um, you could pick out who doesn't know what they're doing and they're just being hired because they have a camera. So the moral compass just did not exist within them. They were so focused on beating out other outlets that when this person gets in somebody's face who's grieving, I, I can't no longer take that photograph. Even from a different angle, I just cannot... I can't be a hyena trying to devour this scene. I just can't. I just can't be that. Um, so, you know, you pick and choose. You start working farther away. And you work your way up until you have that interaction with that person, perhaps. 
But it's such a delicate process that if you make the wrong move, you can get kicked out uh, from this general area where you need to make an image. Um, and I think it was just too overwhelming for even the, the victims' families who were trying to grieve and have a moment of peace just to honor who they loved. Oh, it was the toughest thing. I'm not saying that they ruined it for me, but what I will say is I'm not like that. I can't, I can't be that. I can't use somebody's pain to, to have personal gain as a photojournalist. I can't make their pain my gain in terms of getting more assignments in terms of, you know, saying, hey, look what I did. There's a level of respect that uh, you need to acquire before you enter a scene like that. I'll give you another example. I'm sitting in a courtroom. Sitting behind me was the parents of a deputy here in Albuquerque who was gone down many years ago. In the opening statements of that particular trial, they eventually caught the killer. In the opening day of that trial, they showed, the defense showed photos of the autopsy of this deputy who had, who had been shot. The parents who were sitting behind me, who I came to know eventually, this was the first time they saw photos of their son dead. And when the photos were shown on this large screen, any photojournalist sitting in that position, in that spot where I was, would have turned around and made a photo of that reaction they had when they first saw that image of their son. And I'm not going to lie, I thought about doing that. I thought, you know, this is kind of my job, but I just could not do it. The, the photos were so graphic, eventually the judge called for a recess where everybody took 20 minutes to kind of gather themselves. And then when I stood up, the parents hugged each other. And that's when I made an image, you know, but I wasn't about to rob that moment of pain that I, I can't imagine. It was, it was really tough. Well, I, I think right there is a perfect illustration of having that solid moral compass, you know, and also having empathy towards your subject and the idea of, well, you know, maybe I don't get that photo instead of being a bad human being in that situation. I would think that balance between your professional obligations of being there and documenting the situation, you know, weighing it out against being just a human being, you know, and maybe that's a conversation you have later with your photo editor or maybe that waiting prepared you for the photograph that you ultimately took. And maybe it's not something that's just exclusive to photography, but I definitely think in photographers, there's this competitive nature that, you know, you want to get the photo before anyone else, the one that is, is going to stand out from the rest of the crowd. And you're willing to maybe bend the rules or or maybe check your your morals or ethics at the door to get that photograph and sometimes maybe you're not doing something illegal or it might verge into feeling a bit immoral um but it's not 
the right thing to do. It's just not the right thing. Yeah, you're right. I, I, you know, I try to, as I'm entering street photography in my class, I, I stress that, you know, the ethics of street photography are like, I like to think of it like this. Be careful of who you photograph because newcomers to street photography, they think that it has to be painted with pictures of homeless folks. Like the last thing I want to do is photograph somebody who doesn't have the ability to determine whether they should be photographed or not. They have the right to say no. But if you're under the influence, if you have mental issues and you can't determine from what's appropriate and what isn't, then stay away from that. And I know a lot of people that just don't care Mm -hmm. that, you know, you will be my feather in my cap, you know, to improve my portfolio, to say, hey, look how gutsy I am. And boy, that, that happens way too many times. And as you know, in Albuquerque, we have a huge issue with uh, mental um, issues throughout, especially like in the downtown area, you know, where people don't even know they're being photographed. And I want, if I'm going to make a portrait of someone, I want that communication to be ongoing. I want them to be aware of what I'm doing and, and have that dialogue. But when somebody's passed out and they don't have a, a, a sense of, you know, defending themselves, then what's the point? That's not street photography. It really goes back to what you were saying earlier in the conversation. You know, if you go into a situation with the camera down and that you're curious and you start a conversation with somebody, you're going to be able to assess pretty quickly whether that person is even, you know, uh, thinking straight enough that they would allow themselves to be photographed. And I guess in some ways then that absolves you of doing something that maybe is unethical, inappropriate, or just not, you know, a cool thing to do, taking advantage of somebody for your own personal gain. And in that case, it would be just to have the photograph. Uh, going in with the camera down really seems like it it solves a lot of problems. Oh, yes, indeed. You hit it. You hit it on the nail there. So tell me, what what is the hardest part of your job? Balancing my private life and not letting the emotions from the everyday things that I see cross over into how I carry my personal life. It's really... Uh, it can be a struggle, you know, at times, uh, finding that inner peace can be very tough. And I think the more you work in this field, the more you carry, the more you add to that load. Um, so I think if trying to keep my private life in balance, that can be so challenging, um, that I don't, I don't want either side to affect the other, you know, both my private and my work life. Uh, but, you know, there are times when they do cross over and you can't help it. It is what it is. But that, that's probably the hardest stuff. So having done this job for decades now, 
uh, I'm really curious, and I'm just I'm going to be as blunt about it as I can. How do you still give a shit? I mean, really, you're seeing so much suffering and so much crime and pain. Uh, how do you go out every day, not being jaded and not being burnt out? Like, really, I'm curious. How do you still give a shit after all this time? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, I'm very disciplined, um, but I do care about the community. Like, I want people to understand what keeps what keeps New Mexico, what keeps Albuquerque, what keeps our neighbors to the south going. We're all meshed into, these, into this environment, and it comes with so many tentacles that I don't just not want to give a shit. I want to tell people stories. I think that is my primary function, if you will. That is my catalyst. That's what keeps me going. You know, I'm not going to be Edward R. Murr and tell you, oh, I just want to tell the truth. No, I want to give a glimpse of what you have in your own backyard to help you better understand your community and the people living next to you. And, you know, I just, I care. I care about people. I'm a people's person. But at the end of the day, I give a shit about my community and I love New Mexico and I've made it my home now. So, well, I don't think there's anything else to be said after that. So uh, I think we can end it right there. Uh, Roberto Rosales, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It, It was an honor to have you and it's an honor to be a friend of yours and I wish you all the best as you continue to do the important work that you're doing and telling the stories that need to be heard and showing the photographs that need to be seen. So there you have it, my conversation with photojournalist Roberto Rosales. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Roberto is just a quality human being start to finish and I find his work inspiring I find his humanity even more inspiring and uh, I hope you did as well so that wraps it up for this week's episode I do want to remind you if you have any comments or questions you can go to righteyedominantpodcast.com scroll down there's a section where you can send me a message any comments or questions about today's episode or any thoughts about this podcast in general. Also, you'll see that I do have t-shirts for sale. Get on board with the cool kids out there and get yourself a right eye dominant t-shirt today. You'll be the envy of all photo nerds everywhere. And then lastly, of course, if you could give me a review or a rating on the platform that you're listening to this podcast on, I would greatly appreciate it. Every little bit of support goes a long way. So that's it. This has been the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I have been Nick Toro Jr. And until next time, stay well. Today's episode has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for today's episode was brought to you by Yazar. Lazenby Industries, The Conant Project, and The White Plains. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight.
nine, zero.